Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. God loves us so, so very much. And that's why we speak. That's why we can't help but speak. When we forget His love, we forget to speak or we lose desire to speak, but His love never stops. And His love is the reason that we speak. Uh, We lived at a house uh, several years ago that had a big uh, oak tree in the front yard. And every year, like oak trees do, it it would dump acorns and acorns. Uh, probably hundreds or thousands, and while this is not our house, uh, this is what it would look like. And this is not grass. What is this? These, these, are, these are baby oak trees, the mommy and daddy oak tree right there in the picture. Uh, oak tree seedlings. And at least at our house, uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about that besides I, I probably should have tried better to plant grass. But you know what happened to these seedlings? By the next year, they were gone. And it would start all over again. And the oak tree would drop its acorns, and the soil was soft enough where it would germinate and seed and become a seedling. Uh, But every year, I could count on these not being there by the end of the year. Why? Because planting a seed is different than what happens thereafter, the watering, the nurturing, the growing. When it comes to making disciples, both of these are mission-critical. Our mission is to make disciples. We, we, we say that over and over and over. God's mission is bigger. God's got the heavy load. He's, he's reconciling all things to himself. Our mission is simply to make disciples so that he can do the growing. But planting seeds and watering those seeds are both mission critical. It's discipleship. When it comes to global missions, it might be easier for us sometimes to focus on the planting the seeds while we neglect the longer game of of staying and watering and nurturing to maturity in pursuit of not just seedlings, but not just trees, but of a forest of disciples, a forest that's self-propagating into their future generations, just as we hope for ourselves. The Apostle Paul no doubt understood the importance of teaching to the generations three and four deep before roots can be firmly planted in a new work. Look at his words in Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, uh, 2 through 5. Read this with me. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. And I want us to begin to think about who he's writing to. He's remembering Timothy in his prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And hear this, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Lois, we can surmise in Paul's missionary journeys, was a first generation disciple, a first generation Christ follower. Lois' daughter, Eunice, was a second-generation Christ follower. Paul is honoring and recognizing that new work becomes rooted over the course of not just days and not just months, but of generations. Paul could have stopped with Lois and Eunice, but these letters are not called first and second Lois. I mean, take that into consideration. Paul is writing. He's pouring into a third-generation disciple, Timothy, and We're reading a minute. He's charging him 
to pour into the fourth generation. So look at this text, a chapter later in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. This is the verse that's in our, our missions booklets this year and on the, on the global missions board in the hallway. Timothy, right? You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you, is an imperative second person verb. Now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is, this is a picture of generational discipleship. And I'm convinced even though this is the kind of the clearest snapshot we have in Paul's epistles, that Paul did this as a practice. He understood we don't go and teach one, we go and help teach three and four generations deep until the work is established. Planting seeds is mission critical. Sticking around to nurture them and do the watering while God does the growing, right, is the long game of discipleship. Here in a moment, uh, we're, we're excited for you to be able to see some of our missionary families in person uh, via a, a roundtable virtual conversation that we had with them, uh, missionaries in uh, North Africa, Hungary, and Tanzania around what long-term discipleship looks like. But I want to take a quick detour this morning. It's not really a detour, but generational discipleship that hits a little closer to home. Monterey is a, has a history of generational discipleship. In April, we'll celebrate our 60th anniversary as a church. Monterey, Monterey was planted by an effort of 15 congregations, which I think is pretty cool. First meeting of the Monterey family was February 7th, 1963, at the Franklin Bartley Funeral Home Chapel. The theme of that first series of meetings, of gatherings, was emulating the spirit of Christ and building a new congregation. I love that. In April, I believe April 23rd, if I have my dates right, two weeks after Easter, uh, you'll be able to see some of this history. We'll have tables in the Great Hall with the decades of Monterey's family. Things like this little booklet, History of Monterey from 1999. There's others as well that share that story. And, uh, you know, I, coincidentally or something I, today, you know, the, the logo for Monterey for years was this oak tree on the back. We have a legacy of generational discipleship. I believe we've been, as somebody who's been here for well over half of that 60 years, we have cared about our children and about the next generation, knowing this overwhelming love of God that surpasses all things. And for this reason, we've been what you might call, you know, we're a Bible class church. Um, we, we, we insist on having Bible classes because this is about growth and learning. And we, we believe we don't just go wide, but we go deep. Not just with information, but also through living into Jesus' words into the world. This is, this is a two-sided coin. We learn the information, but we also are transformed in, in becoming that in the world. As Dan Bouchot uh, told some of us last week, sometimes we think that it's information alone that leads to transformation. But if we're, getting, if we're forgetting this middle component of imitation then we're missing the full message of Jesus. Information combined with imitation leads to transformation. Following in the footsteps of our rabbi Jesus involves both of these I words, not just one. This is generational discipleship. And without both of these, the change doesn't last. With the first one only, we become ships without sails. With the second one only, we become sails without rudders. And so Paul, the teacher, will tell us, imitate me as I imitate Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. 
James will say, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. And this is a church, I believe, that sought to hold these two things faithfully over 60 years. And so one month ago today, actually, we had our family commitment Sunday, right? Where we joined with 20, 20 young families who were dedicating, committing, you know, covenant to say, I, I commit my child and I commit myself to disciple this child and I commit my child for you to disciple this child. And it was noted that half of these parents on this stage on this day grew up in Monterey. This is generational discipleship. I've said this before, but you may or may not know, I'm here today because Mike Martin found me when I was 17 years old, 58th in Memphis, up in the youth room. And he said, have you ever considered going into ministry? And I had it. I did not remotely think my, my skill sets were made for that. I still don't, and you may agree with me. <laughs> but I believed him because he didn't just come out of the blue and ask me that. He knew me. He had been around me, and so it, it caused me to, to take pause and, and ask myself, you know, would I? And so I, I declared Bible as a major at LCU just to test the waters, and I fell in love with Scripture and the story of God. That's just Monterey, Right? God's mission is, is, is everywhere, and it's not different everywhere. It's the same everywhere. It's the mission of planting seeds and making disciples. Our question today, when it comes to global missions, do we think in terms of generational discipleship, just as we have the luxury of doing here at home? Or do we tend to think in shorter time frames? Last year, Jim Beck, uh, our, our missionary, Jim and Phyllis, are in Kenya, uh, described discipleship for us as not counting numbers, but counting names, right? God is not about numbers. He's about relationships. And this year we would add to that, not just counting names, but counting generations. God is in the business of counting generations, not just the seedlings under the tree, but an imagination and a dedication to the forests that will grow and bless the world to come. But if this was ever easy, 2023 is challenging to have that imagination for. We're such a fast-paced culture. We're instant gratification culture. We're drive-through fast food culture. We are, what's it called, the attention economy, right? The, 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 the commodity that uh, everybody, the world seeks is, is just, if we can divert their eyes from one thing to the next, if we can grab their attention for a moment, the longer the better, that's all. And the moment is the win. Seeds can be a moment, and that can be a win. But the long game is a sustained commitment to relationship. It's a sustained, sustained commitment, yes, to attention, to our own attention, and helping turn people's heads by their own desire, you know, transformed inside of them by God to something that's, that's higher and greater and richer and fuller. And it's one thing to plant the seed and attract someone's attention. It's another to help them live more and more fully and faithfully into God's presence through all of life's experiences, beginning to end, watering and nurturing and pruning, as Dan talked about last week, as we watch their desire for God grow. It's easy to rally people around things like fear and anger and even, even nostalgia, right? Rally them around. The, it's, it's harder, maybe impossible, to rally people around wisdom. What does wisdom look like? It's cultivated over a lifetime. Paul was in this, in this business. Jesus was in this business. Paul talks about having the mind of Christ, putting on the mind of Christ. It's not done overnight. It begins with decisions, 
but it continues with perpetual decisions as we're transformed into God's image. Discipleship is a, is a slow cooker. It's not, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And so we may understand all of this on our side of the pond, but today we want to ask, do we, do, we, do we see our global missions initiatives and partners in this same light? What are our expectations for them? Are we having the same expectations for them that we do for ourselves? And that is, this is the long game of planting deep roots. Because we're blessed at Monterey that this seed has been planted and watered intentionally and prayerfully for, we just said, for 60 years. In Kenya, for almost 40 years. They're finally seeing third-generation disciples, the Timothys, who are teaching fourth-generation disciples. I love to hear Jim Beck talk about their, their 18 young leaders. And there are probably more than that, but uh, this group that meets constantly, that's being trained uh, formally and informally to carry this on to their children, to the fourth generation, and then back up the ladder, right, to the first and second. We're all speaking to each other. Other works are just getting started. The Schumanns have been in Tanzania for nine years, Hungary and North Africa for 18 months, although those, those workers came from different contexts. They're veteran workers, and they're, they're, they're planting new seeds in their, their locations, and we get the opportunity to water other people's trees to help establish their future generations. And the long-term result will be established roots that can't easily be shaken and self-propagating disciples, oak trees, that are also able to disciple their own seedlings, right? We're, we're helping them grow their people just like we've had the luxury of growing ours. So what does this look like with our current missions partners? You have booklets in your chairs again for the last Sunday. Uh, if you haven't looked at those, feel free to take one. This will be the last day that they're out. That's just a snapshot. It's so challenging to capture the, 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 yeah, a whole lifetime of, of ministry and a whole ecosystem in these places. So that's our feeble attempt at doing that. Today, uh, we want to bring a different snapshot to you out of their own mouths. So a couple of us, a couple of weeks ago, had about an hour-long uh, roundtable conversation about what does long-term discipleship look like uh, with these three families. And I would just want to add, before we start the video, uh, I want to reemphasize Dan's comment last week that the majority world, that term means the global south and east, so your Africas, your Middle East, your Southeast Asias, these places are the cutting edge of the Christian world. The center of the Christian world is no longer here. The center of the Christian world numerically and maybe energetically is in the global south and east. And, and these folks today that we're going to watch are some of our greatest teachers. We would be wise to listen to them and their experiences. So with that being said, I invite you to, to join this about seven-minute video, and then Barry's going to come and conclude our teaching for today. someone who's ready to be on that journey too there's there's a moment for them just like there is for everyone and then we get to walk along together um and if the teaching and the blood really of jesus is integrated into the daily our daily lives then it can become integrated into the lives of of the people that we're in community with well one way i think about it 
is just inviting others to follow Christ while you're trying to follow Christ as well. I realize now that a disciple, anyone can be a disciple if they choose to like live out like Jesus, like follow Jesus' example. One of the things that we say is that if you're willing to teach someone in the afternoon what you learned this morning, then you're making a disciple. I think, you know, Jesus chose 12 people <laughs> and poured his entire life into those 12 people. One of them even, like, betrayed him, right? And then at the end, he gets with them and he's like, you guys know everything the Father has given me to tell you, and you guys will do more than I ever did with you or before you, and now I call you friends. Our focus um, to go wide and see transformation broadly has to first and foremost be a focus of depth and authentic and genuine presence and relationship. I think that's what we see modeled in scripture is a God that's very relational in orientation. And so we see Christ enter in and he walks with people. And it's not just come to me at eight o'clock in the morning and we're going to do a lesson and then I'm in it. It was for three years, you're just going to walk with me. Yep. and. We're just gonna have conversations and you're gonna get it wrong and I'm gonna have to reiterate it and you're still not gonna understand it. And I'm gonna reiterate and we're just gonna do it together. There's something profound about the mundane sacred that we do, right? The everyday things that we do. Jenny, what you what you said about it's not like a program that you show up at eight and and you have this this time of this lesson and then it just clicks because as you walk with that person for three years. You're, you're, that's playing out in real life situations that are happening in our families as we do life together in our workplaces. And that's those moments that, that we're reiterating who Jesus is and what he's calling us to. It's really easy for us to, to think about Jesus in snapshots, but it was, his life was a full life. <laughs> There's definitely this continual journey which we're trying to lead people towards Christ while we're all being transformed. The leader and the people that are following Jesus, we're all being transformed to be more like Christ. I do, I do feel like part of discipleship is inviting people into a lifestyle of obedience. And I'm not talking about legalism or trying to you know, make people feel, like, uh, feel bad or living up to my standard or anything like this. But one of the things that we're finding is that we're not intentional. If we're not trying to, to model some kind of obedience and live it out ourselves, then we're really not getting anywhere. Um, I like how you were saying um, it's so hard because it's so simple. I think like a lot of people can go out and do like good works and like oh they do good works for God and those, those are good. But if you disciple, like to disciple one person is like to spend maybe your whole life like just with that one person and leading them to Christ to invest in someone's life even when they feel like they don't want your investment in their life. I think one other thing we, we touched on this is, is the fact that discipleship happens in the context of community. And so like, for example, one guy comes through our coffee class, hears the gospel, they're connected with a, a local church potentially. Um, and they have all of these different aspects um, and different relationships within their community that are actually forming them into the people that God is calling them to be. Um, sometimes 
because of the work we do, we kind of get pigeonholed as a social media people. But honestly, that's just like the, the net that we're using to fish with. And one of the things we do with that net is from the very beginning, when we start posting content online, we're trying to use language in our social media posts that is inclusive and speaks to groups. So we often say things like, are you one of those who also has experienced? Or would you like to talk to one of us? We're a group of, and so even in the, from the very beginning, just with the language we use, we're trying to say, look, we're inviting you into a community. Um, you know, we're still, we're just a year and a half in, so we're still building relationships, still getting to know people. And, and the people that I'm getting to know um, are predominantly Muslim. And one of the things that I am starting to understand through building relationship is we have a lot of misconceptions about each other. However, being able to say, you know, hey, we have a scripture and our scripture says this, and that is why I live this way. Oftentimes it's like, really? I didn't know that that's what your scripture said. Oh yeah. So things kind of present themselves. And if we're respectful and in relationship, those things are going to bubble up and it's just being obedient to being bold with who we are in a very loving and respectful way. What I hear a lot is just the abiding part, the part where we're told in John, you know, abide with me as I abide in Christ and or I'll abide in you and you abide in me. And it's that idea that in my abiding with him is the outpouring of obedience, is the outpouring of my life, my daily the, the things that I do that are the mundane and the ordinary, but also the extraordinary, which is that living with Christ in deep relationship with Him and in deep relationship with the people who are around me. That's the, that's, for me, that's the essence of discipleship. Well, to echo Aaron's words and to echo the conversation you've just heard, uh, let me invite you to hear uh, the final words that Jesus spoke before his ascension into heaven following his resurrection. Uh, these words according to the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think it's obvious that both Aaron and I love words and images. And so related to the overall story of God, uh, I would invite you for just a moment to reflect on two words that we have used during this past month. One is the word imagine, uh, what God imagined from the very beginning when he created the world. But then secondly, the word mission. What is or what has been the mission of God since the entrance of sin into the world? Answer, God's mission is all about reconciliation, the renewal of all things, the restoration of humanity's relationship with the divine family and with one another made possible by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the beauty is, as we've been emphasizing, God not only rescued us, but God invites us to partner with him in his mission. And so to use the language of Matthew 28, the mission of God in our lives is all about making disciples, all about discipleship, planting and nurturing seeds, loving God and loving others. And so you've heard us say for a number of years, the mission of God is everywhere. 
And I would add to that, it is a holistic mission. In fact, the language of Matthew 28 is convicting in that respect. Very seldom do our English translations capture the full import of Jesus' words. In fact, there's only one verb, one imperative in that Matthew 28 text, make disciples. The other action words in that text are verbal forms, participles that modify what it means to make disciples, that communicate the different pieces of this holistic mission of making disciples. And so more literally, Jesus says, in your going, make disciples, baptizing, continuing to teach everything that I have commanded you. In your going, that is a given. Be the presence of Jesus everywhere you go, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, at work, across the street, across the city, <clears throat> across the globe. Sounds a whole lot like the words in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we know as the Shema, where Israel is commanded to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. <clears throat> and parents are encouraged to impress the words of God on their children. When you sit at home, when you get up, when you lie down, when you walk along the path, in other words, it is a way of life. And it's crucial for us to grab hold of that as well. In your going... Make disciples. And a couple of components of that include baptizing, but again, it's for the long haul. Continuing to teach, to mentor, to guide. Make disciples. And as we have focused on, on that over the last month, I hope you've heard a couple of other words that are significant words. One is the word generations that Aaron focused on this morning. Again, we both plant and nurture seeds. We invest in one another's lives. We mentor, we teach, we guide, we walk with, and we do it from generation to generation. The influence of folks like Mike Martin in Aaron's life, but those of you who know Aaron also know that it is a generation to generation to generation. His grandparents, Bill and Dorothea Dawson, part of Monterey for years, and Bill served as an elder for a number of years. Uh, his Mother and father, Kathy, Gary, who served as an elder before his death. Again, the idea of generation to generation to generation. Some of you in the audience today may be first-generation Christians. That is, you were the first in your family to become a follower of Jesus. But my guess is most of us in this room are second or third or fourth-generation Christians which prompts at least two responses. One, incredible gratitude for the faith that has been passed on to us. And then secondly, the challenge for us to continue, to continue planting and nurturing. That's true here, and that's true in those partnerships that we share around the globe. Again, Aaron referenced Kenya where Jim and Phyllis have worked for over 35 years and it's always exciting when I travel to Kenya to see those second and third generation Christians but even beyond that to see second and third generation leaders. Look at folks like Daniel Chingo and Stephen Thethy who are my age who've been such incredible leaders but who also see the significance of passing those pieces of leadership and faith to the next generation and to the next generation. And so the idea of generations. And then the idea of community. As uh, 
Landon put it in the video, discipleship happens in the context of community. You think about all of those one another passages in the New Testament where we are to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to love one another, to honor one another. Discipleship obviously includes some short-term pieces, but for the most part, discipleship is long-term. It is relational. It is all about community. All of us individually are important, don't misunderstand, but at the same time recognize as a community we can do far more than any one individual. And so today we emphasize two pieces. One, the importance of prayer. Maybe a multitude of ways where we can honor the mission of God in our lives, but all of us together as a church family can pray. We pray for this church, for our community here in Lubbock. We pray for our world, and we pray specifically for the partnerships that we share around the globe. Uh, Aaron and I, following our time with Dan Bouchel last week, walked away saying there are a variety of ways that we want to bless our missionaries and to serve our missionaries beyond what we're currently doing. Well, one of those is to pull groups together to pray. In particular, today, as a beginning place, uh, Caleb and Jenny Beck, whom we support in North Africa, are looking for classes or groups to join them in praying for one of the 24 states in their region and to do so specifically during the Muslim month of Ramadan as they interact with and build relations with folks who come from a Muslim background. If you're interested in that, uh, check with Aaron. And then secondly, we can give. Let me invite those who are going to be passing the baskets Go ahead and make your way to the back, if you will. For over a decade, we have taken a special contribution on Mission Sunday, over and beyond our regular contribution, to provide additional resources for those we partner with, to meet other needs of ministries around the globe, and to give space for God to continue to work in our lives and to prompt us as new doors of opportunity come. This year's goal, as you can see on the screen, is $175,000. And as we say every year, God has blessed us abundantly. That is not a goal that is impossible for us to reach. And so we encourage you to give generously and sacrificially. Different ways that you can give today as the baskets are passed, you can place checks or cash in those trays. As we do every week, you can give online using our app or our website. There is a tab for 2023 Mission Sunday. Or, Jason, go ahead and put it up. Uh, there's a QR code that you can scan if you would like that will take you directly to our giving page. Let me close with a personal note, and some of you have heard me tell this story, so forgive the repetition I've had the privilege of, of preaching for churches and local ministry in five states, done traveling in 11 or 12 countries around the globe, the privilege of teaching in those contexts, and I'm grateful. But my worldview, when it comes to the mission of God, both here and around the globe, my worldview began to change radically. My first trip out of the U.S. to Jamaica was preaching for a church in Kentucky. We were supporting a school of preaching in Kingston, and we were supporting a young man who had graduated from that school who was preaching in a community about an hour outside of Kingston. I was there. We conducted a vacation Bible school. I preached each evening. One of those afternoons after we had done the VBS setting, 
I had no more than turned around a time or two, and I was surrounded by children. Seemed like a thousand kids, but we were only in a community of 2,000 altogether. We were a bunch of kids. And they began to pepper me with questions. Finally, one of the questions posed was, are you rich? How do you respond? And so I responded with a question. What do you mean by rich? One of the kids asked, do you have a telephone? It's pre-cell phone days for the most part. Do you have a telephone? Debbie and I had at least three in our home at that point in different rooms. That little community of 2,000 had one telephone on a pole in the center of the community. Next question, do you have a car? There may have been two or three or four uh, folks in that community who had a car. We had three at the time. Are you rich? I guess I am. And you are as well. And so today, as we take this contribution, I ask that question, are you rich? Not to make you feel guilty, but to remind all of us of the incredible blessings that God has given us and to challenge us to be generous and sacrificial as we engage with God in his work around this globe. Let's pray together and then we'll be passing those contribution trays. Father, what a blessing that you have rescued us and that you have invited us to partner with you in this incredible mission of discipleship around the globe. And while there are different pieces of that, our financial partnership is an important one. And so I pray, God, that you'll bless us as we give. In the name of Jesus, amen.